Hi, everyone. Welcome to Snarky with Mike Feeney. I'm your host, Renee Zellweger. And I only said Renee Zellweger because I just watched Jerry Maguire for the first time in my life, and I have some pretty strong opinions on it that I'll get to in a moment. But first, let me explain the show. This is a new podcast. Thank you very much for, for watching, for listening. You can watch it on my YouTube, youtube.com slash Mike Feeney Comedy. Listen to it anywhere you get your podcast. If you're enjoying it, go ahead and tell a friend. Don't be a little weirdo. And we, we don't need to keep this, this little secret between us, you know? Make it, make it for the people. Um, this is a podcast where I just kind of rant and complain about things. Maybe complain about things at an expert level. How about that? I have my doctorate in complaining, and you're going to hear about it. So you can also send me things that you think I, would get me mad or things that get you mad to snarkypodcast at gmail.com. Or send it to my Instagram. I'm here, of course, with my trusty producer, Nicole Lyons. Hi. And we are drinking another goblet of Aperol Spritz. Do, do, a little, do a little jingle into the mic so that they know. See? It's not, we're not just, some people would be like, oh, this is all for show. This is really just, you know, a fresca or something like that. No, not us. We, we, we walk the walk. We talk the talk. And it shows in our quality. And it's 10 a.m. right now. Yes, it's very early. My wife has begged me not to drink, and um, I've said, you don't know me, you don't know anything about me. And so <laughs> that's where I'm at. But let us let me just get in right off. I didn't even plan on talking about it until I said Renee Zellweger, but Jerry Maguire. Nicole, have you seen this? I have you heard about this? No. Um, let me just give you the entire synopsis, because we need to fill time. No, it's a... Uh, it's a very strange movie. What do you think, having no context clues, only knowing through pop culture, what do you think Jerry Maguire is about? I truly can't even begin to guess. It does sound like um, it might be about a guy, an, an older man, middle-aged man, who's trying to live the life of a younger man, potentially. Um, I mean, in, in your... Complete vagities. You are kind of is vagity is a word. Uh, in your vagueness, you were you were somewhat accurate, but no, you're you're very far off. Uh, it is so. It's about a hot shot young Tom Cruise who is a um, who is an agent. He's a sports agent. So think of almost like an Ari Gold and Entourage kind of situation. And he's a hot shot, and he helped build this company. And he's you know zipping and zapping he's got his hair slicked back and he's wearing a sharp suit and then he uh he's he's engaged to this just smoking hot very strong woman who also is i think an agent of some kind or something like that and they you know they have very powerful sex and it's like very you know aggressive and like what sharks how sharks have sex i would imagine and so they, you know, everything's going great for him. And then wouldn't you know it, um, he gets fired. So he gets fired in a way where it was, they really sandbagged him. Jay Moore plays the bad guy who fires. Jay Moore plays a great dickhead in this. Just terrific. So come the famous scene of Tom Cruise going like, I'm not going to do what everybody thinks I'm going to do and freak out. You know, he does that whole thing. And then he does the who's coming with me thing. And now cut to... An earlier scene where they're on a plane. Jerry Maguire is in first class. He's living life. He's laughing, drinking champagne. He's got his hot fiance. Renee Zellweger works for the same company, but she's in coach. And she has her kid. 
and her kid, she's a single mom, and her kid's young and cute, but like nerdy and without a father. And, you know, she's just kind of keep her life together. And she sees Jerry Maguire and she's like, man, he's so lucky. He's so hot. He's so, what what do you got to do to get a, a guy like that and her and his fiance is 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 so beautiful and all this like very coveting of Jerry Maguire right so cut to the scene where he goes uh he does the famous i just got one question when he's quitting or when he gets fired when he's leaving he goes who's coming with me who's coming with me and everybody nobody answers him they all ignore him and as he's walking out with his head hung low Renee Zellweger is like i'll go with you and then he's like, all right, this woman who I don't know. Uh, cool. All right, you. And then she comes with him. And then they start like their own. This is going to be great sort of company because he's like, I'm taking the only two clients that I got to come with me were Jerry O'Connell, who's a football player, who's going to be the next number one pick in the draft and the most important client ever. And then also uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., who is uh, an NFL player, wide receiver. But he's not very, he's not the superstar, but he's got the ego of a superstar, which might have to come into check a few times later in the film. And so they start this little business together. And she's like kind of secretly like, yes. Then he breaks it off with his fiance because God knows why. But he's just like, I'm not doing this anymore. And she's like, no one breaks up with me. It's like very weird. And it's a very Cameron Crowe movie, by the way. It's a very self-indulgent of him. A lot of a lot of emotional scenes and like, you know, too much laughing, I think. Way too much laughing. Anyway, so they start doing this. They're, they're, they're talking about clients at one point or whatever. And there's a low moment of Jerry Maguire's life. And him and Renee Zellweger are kind of like doing the, sitting on the same couch, close talking. And then he just like fully sexually assaults her like just in the like he comes over he leans in he kisses her he grabs her tits start honking them a few times and then does the like oh i'm sorry about that i thought you you didn't you didn't want to and she's like conflicted because she's like well of course i wanted that because this has been my whole plan but at the same time was like but i didn't want it like that like i didn't want it that fast so kind of like fuck you but also like i kind of liked it and so it's this weird balance and then he goes to leave and then they go out on a date a few days later or whatever and then she invites him in and they end up having sex and then cut to like what feels like the next scene they get married and you're like what? They're getting married all of a sudden. So now she has like fully emotionally manipulated this guy who's at his rock bottom and lost his fiance and lost his big powerful job and is just doing it on her own. And the only ally that he has, she emotionally has been like, I've been plotting this the whole time. And she kind of like pedals her son in front of him who the son and him really get along. And the son is trying to see him as like a father figure now. And so this like, you know, first he sexually assaults her, then she emotionally manipulates him. Then he's like, you know, then she admits to it. And towards the end of the movie, she's like, listen, I, this is fucked up. You're not going to be happy the long term. I totally emotionally manipulated you and we got to just call this off. And he's like, oh, okay. I mean, that's news to me, but that's kind of shitty of you to have done that this whole time. And you're kind of a sick monster fuck, you know? And then he goes out and does his thing. Madness ensues and chaos and, you know, lessons are learned and, you know, ends become, <laughs> enemies become friends, friends become enemies. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, you know what? 
I do want to marry you. And so he stays with her anyway. And then that's the fun part of it. He comes to try and like kind of win her back, even though she's the one that kind of said to leave. And then he does the this whole speech, which she comes in with the, you had me at hello. And listen, I understand I'm recapping a movie that's like 30 years old for everybody who's already seen it. But those of you who haven't, this is a fucked up, weird movie of emotional and physical manipulation. And it just ends with, I guess Renee, Renee Zellweger got what she wants. So I'm here to say, if, if you're a man or a woman, and I don't even, I don't probably can't work the reverse, but if you're a woman and you see a hotshot guy with a big old job and a sexy fiance, just wait until his complete moment of weakness, fully take advantage of that, and then uh, you'll end up with Jerry Maguire, right? Not a, not a, not a bad thing. Did, he seems pretty happy. They both seem pretty happy in the end. But Renee Zellweger, I mean, listen. I may not be the biggest Renee Zellweger fan. I think she is a uh, serviceable actress in the movies that she's in. But she ain't Tom Cruise in his 20s. I mean, level in no in no part of the film. Am I like, well, sure, I could see how the pot, you know, the kid really the kid. He really loves that little kid. It's like Renee Zellweger is is a seven, you know, when she was young and Tom Cruise has been, uh, you know, an 11. He's a four foot 11, but an 11 nonetheless, since he was young. And he's in the height of it. He's like almost like maverick level, like hot. And you're like, I don't, I just can't buy it. You know, I can't buy Renee Zellweger. Just like I can't buy Jim Carrey and Zoe Deschanel in Yes Man. You know, it's like that is a, there's a 40 year age gap. It feels like in between you two, you shouldn't be together. Nicole, do you have any thoughts on this film? Um. Well, I can definitely speak to the, like, the Jim Carrey situation. Like, that's something that bothers me so much, not with him, but with, like, Adam Sandler with his smoking hot blonde wife yeah. in every single movie. Yeah. And also an actress I've never seen in my life. Yeah, he did that in uh, the the jewel, the Uncut Gems one, too. Oh, yeah. I haven't his seen that His wife was one. gorgeous in that, too. Yeah. He's very good. He's, uh, yeah, it's, I, that's the thing, too. I also watched Do the Right Thing, which fantastic, fantastic Spike Lee film. But there's that scene where, you know, he kind of, he discovered um, Rosie Perez, but there's a scene in it where she, you know, they have like kind of like a, a sex, not even a sex scene. It's like a sexy scene where he's like rubbing, it's a heat wave and he's like rubbing ice cubes all over her body and all over her nipples and kind of just like, it's like a very hot, like tantric sort of, sort of fucking scene. And, you know, it, it's great, but I'm watching it being like, Spike Lee wrote this. <laughs> And he's directing this. And he's acting in this. Like, that's like, that, that almost shouldn't be allowed. Like, it's like a conflict of interest, isn't it? To be like, I'm going to write this fucking scene where I'm just fucking just rubbing, rubbing cubes all over this dick's nipples. And it's just going to be hot and sexy. And then he's got to cast that role, you know? And then she's going to be like, well, I got to. What am I going to say? You know, it's like the guy who wrote it. She can't be like, can I change the scene? It's like she, he wrote the guy who's casting you is the guy who wrote it and the guy who's directing it. And also your scene partner. It's like that. She's so fucked, you know, but uh, but, you know, she was great at it. Good for her. But I'm like, Spike really, really wrote himself a little sex scene there, didn't he? You know, that's that should probably be a me. Too. I feel like if, if Woody Allen had done that, he'd be 
I mean, I guess Woody Allen's well, done a lot worse. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he did do that. He did that. do that, didn't he? <laughs> All right. I guess that's the benefit of being a writer-director. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. My next movie is with myself and Margot Robbie, and it's just... An hour of penetration. That's all it just shows. It'll be called Steamy Time with Feeny. Feeny. <laughs> Steamy Time with Feeny. Steamy Feeny Time. Um, we got it. We got it. We're in the books, folks. Uh, <laughs> the Aperol Spritz is going to be hitting us harder because we've, we're on our second Aperol Spritz. Um, but that's the fun of this. It gets loose. It gets silly. I've got my legal pad here to talk about very serious legal things. Um, like, for instance, this is something that's been bothering me. Um, I have a tiny little garbage pail, right? little office garbage pail. Nothing, nothing fancy. Just, you know, I'm but a man. And uh, I have this little garbage pail. Now, somebody tried to insult me for using the plastic bag as the garbage liner. And... My thought is this. If you have a tiny garbage pail and you buy tiny garbage pail bags, you are an idiot. You're, you go out, walk out of your house. If you're listening to this, keep the headphones in. I want people to know what you were listening to. Walk right out of your house. Walk right into traffic. Don't move till you get blasted. That's what I think because... You're a shitty consumer. You are every fish that, that you're the sheep. You're the sheep that they talk about selling it to. You don't buy tiny little baby garbage bags. You just, we've agreed as a nation, you use a little plastic CVS bag, a bodega bag. You use that as the liner. We've agreed to that as a society. And I don't even know where you would get a tiny little, uh, Amazon, I guess, right? Uh, at, at, they a hundred percent have those on Amazon, don't they, Nicole? I mean, I bet they have millions of tiny little baby garbage bags on Amazon. They do. I've purchased them. You buy them? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't really go like like shopping Traffic. At, at places where I'd get plastic bags. Yeah, but what do you mean? I don't have like a plastic bag stash. Ah, well, that's your first problem right there. But also buying tiny little baby garbage bags. I mean, what is that? What is that running you? I have no idea. They come in bulk. Coming in bulk. You see, I just go to, you know, I guess if you're going to go to, if you're going to get it anywhere, get Amazon. And that's my other thing with Amazon. People that don't have Amazon Prime at this point, go ahead and get Prime. What are you waiting for? Is this like your little stand that you're making? This fun little thing that you're doing where you're like, I don't support the big guys. Shut up. All right. Do you own a cheese shop in Brooklyn? Just Shut up. It's convenient. It's I'm so sick of people who are like, I don't like Jeff Bezos, you know? And listen, I don't know much about Jeff Bezos or his life, but he's going to be my leave that person alone for the day. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, leave that person alone. Leave him alone. What is he doing besides creating like millions of jobs, first off? Just like so... So, so many jobs he's creating. Secondly, uh, he's making all of our lives so much more convenient. I mean, two-day free shipping? Who had ever even heard? When you first heard of that, you shit yourself. Admit it. You did. Pooped right in your pants. 
Big old logs ruined your underwear. And then where'd you get new underwear? Amazon Prime. Two days, they were there and you were all set. And you said, thank you, Amazon gods. And that's what Amazon Prime is. And I don't understand, you know, people may hate the convenience or whatever. And, uh, you know, people are like, oh, he's, he's a big company. He's taking out the little guys. But they smarted, started as a small company. That's what all company, that's a very fun Nate Bargatze joke that he, is, that he said uh, long ago where he's like, People talk about Walmart, like out of there, not I support mom and pops. It's like, well, Walmart was a mom and pop at one point, and they just got successful enough that they weren't a mom. Every mom and pop wishes they could grow to be a Walmart, wishes they could grow to be an Amazon. That's the goal. It's not to just make enough money so that Herb keeps walking in every week to buy a fucking hammer from your little store. Everybody wants to be global, wants to be a franchise. Of course you do. If you don't, you're a liar. Um, and this is also to say that I, I should mention now, just for full legal, you know, legal pad uh, things. I have I have a lot of stock in Amazon, so I think this that's where that's really the the free plug that I'm doing is for is for Amazon. I mean, let's if you all of you could buy a ton of Amazon stock, I'm looking to pump and dump this thing. <laughs> just I'm going to sell tomorrow at like eleven fifty three. If you guys could, I don't think it's insider trading if I announce on a public platform that I'm going to do it because then everyone has, I don't have enough shares to influence the market, but I think if, if this podcast gets popular enough, we can really become the next GameStop. You know, this'll be, this'll be huge. That would be so funny if that's how this podcast got popular to like fucking Fox News is all of a sudden like, oh, the famous snarky with Mike Feeney had this, uh, he talked about pumping and dumping stocks on his uh, thing. Whatever. All right. Whatever, folks. I mean, and you know, there's one more thing. I like it. I like it. this is how much stuff I wrote down. I have I have to turn the page. Um something else that bothered me this week was hanging out with another comedian who makes his own almond milk. Now I get having a hobby. I get it. I do stuff. Um, but I don't get shaming people. Like this man, I drink almond milk. That's my kind of milk of preference these days is I'm an almond milk boy, okay? But he was like, <laughs> you buy almond milk? Oh, no, no, no. You gotta, you gotta make your own, dude. What are you doing? Like he said it to me as if I was, you know, as if instead of writing with a pen, I use a quill and old ink. And I'm like, what? Pen? What's... I, I was so mad at him because the way in which he described... Do you ever have someone do that where they go, it's so simple. All you have to do is... And then it's 45 minutes of thorough instructions. That's what this kid did to me. He was like, almond milk, dude. It's so simple. You just go buy like a 40-pound bag of almonds and then you have to store that somewhere. And then you put them and you soak them in water overnight, you know, all night long. Then you take them, you put it in like an old sock and you let it kind of fucking sit there and dry out and do that. And you'd strain it and drain it and do all that other stuff. And then afterwards, you got a, a milky, socky like discharge that is good enough to be almond milk. And I'm like, all of what you're saying has not changed my mind on spending $4 on almond milk whatsoever. There's nothing, this is like the people who were like, you know, and I get, 
there's a difference between people being able to do your laundry, uh, you know, and, and having the financial ability to drop off your laundry. But I talked about this in the last episode where I'm like, I will pay any amount of money for the time to not have to do laundry. And it turns out it's not that much more. It's like $3 or $4 more to drop off your laundry versus to do it all yourself. And you're like, listen, man, times are tough for people. But for me, I got that extra $4 lying around. I'm not doing laundry. I got an extra $4. I'm not making almond milk on a weekly basis like I'm at a fucking farm outside of Northern Kentucky. You know, just let me buy my almond silk or whatever the hell it's called and and don't judge me for that. You know, so that's a, a fuck that person. How about that? I had to leave that person alone. That's one of the many fuck that persons that I'm going to talk about. Fuck the person that guilts you into doing their hobby. Fuck that person. And while we're on that topic of fuck that person, this is who I really wanted to say this about. Fuck that person who says the book was better when you talk about a show or a movie that you're watching or watched. There is no response more annoying, more condescending, more obnoxious than the, oh, you're watching Nine Perfect Strangers? That's cool. Yeah, the book was better, but no, I can see. The book was so good. It was like page turner. Couldn't put it down. And you're like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care that you read. Go ahead and shut up about it. We don't care. Just say, hey, I read a lot, everybody. I read a lot. And also, I want you to know that. And I'll go, great. I watch a lot of TV and a lot of movies. And I don't care if you know that. But now I'm telling you, since we're in this pissing contest all of a sudden, and people will be like, well, the book was different because they, uh, even the, I, with, the good, with Goodfellas, favorite movie of all time. It was so good that I went back and read the book, Wise Guys, about it. And you know what? The book was great. Was the book better than Joe Pesci and fucking Robert De Niro and Adam, uh, Adam Duvall? That's not who's in that movie. And it's also Robert Duvall. So who? Ray Liotta. No way is it better than any of their performances, but it's a fascinating book. And also when you watch the movie first and then you go back and read it, that's a problem that I have with books. I'm a, I'm a photographic memory kind of a guy. I'm a visual kind of a guy. That's how I do my best learning. So if I can, when I read a book, the hardest part for me is when they introduce a character is trying to visualize what that character looks like. You know, if you're like, oh, this is Tommy. He's like short and Italian. I'm like, that's everyone. But then if I go, if I watch the movie first and I go back and I'm like, oh, fuck, Tommy. Now I can picture Joe Pesci the entire time. And I'm like, oh my God, Joe Pesci did this. Joe Pesci did that. It's great. It's so much better, you know? So I'm an advocate for movie first. And here's the other thing. If the movie and the show really is better, well, then won't I be pleased, as punch, to read the book afterwards and have the better experience second? You know, if something is worse, let me do that first and then go and do that. But I'll tell you this, I just finished Nine Perfect Strangers. Fantastic. Really liked it. I'm never going to read the books because I don't care enough. Um, but, you know, you're never going to... I don't think that the books could be better than... Uh, Bobby Cannavale and Melissa McCarthy, who suddenly won me over. Where have you been my whole life? Hello. And uh, and uh, Nicole Kidman 
and fucking uh oh uh michael shannon michael shannon doesn't do enough in this world but every time i see michael shannon or bobby cannavale i go i don't know what this is but i trust you take me home you know they're kind of like they're like uh philip seymour hoffman when he was there they haven't they don't have his body of work yet but anytime you saw philip seymour hoffman in anything like along came polly think about that film and that's another film where you want to talk about an uh, incredibly hot woman, average-looking guy. Uh, you watch Along Came Polly, and you're like, Along Came Polly is fun. It's a rom-com. We could sit through it and laugh. It's, not, it's nobody's favorite movie. Now add Philip Seymour Hoffman. Add the fucking Rainmaker stuff. Add the I Just Sharded, which just became a pop culture. All of a sudden, sharding became part of the nomenclature. Everyone talks about sharding now, and that's because of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he just delivers such a powerhouse performance inside this very okay rom-com. I think he elevated the whole script. What do you think about that, Nicole? He invented the, the phrase sharding? I don't... Or from that movie? I don't think that sharding was... It certainly was not a household name before Along Came Polly. It might have been a thing that existed in very small circles. And you know how I know? It's because he goes, I got to get out of here. I just sharded. And, she, and Ben Siller goes, you what? And he goes, I sharded. I tried to fart and poop came out. I have to go <laughs> right now. And the, the fact that the writers wrote in the you what means that not enough People, not enough of the average people would know what a shart is that they had to explain it in the movie. So yes, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character invented and is responsible for the word sharding becoming as popular as it has since become, which is now a household item. Um, so good for that and good for him and good for <laughs> us. Good for all of us. This is kicking in. This is really kicking in. I'm not well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we both have, again, this is the exact same size of Nicole's over there, too. So it's, we are, we're not just like having a little fun drink. We are getting after it, as they would say. Um, which will segue me beautifully into something else that is, I don't know when this changed, but when did it become a thing where people go, alcohol is not good for you? Like, people are now making that a mission statement to warn others. Like, hey, alcohol's poison. You got to watch out for it, man. And it's like, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, we, what? Did you not know? I mean, it's, it's poison. It's sweet, delicious poison. That's what alcohol is, was, and always shall be. But we know that. And we're okay with it because it provides levity, uh, temporary escape. Feelings of euphoria, feelings of joy, feelings of relaxation, feelings, you know, to drink the pain away. I mean, it's, it's a coping mechanism as long as there's ever been a coping mechanism. And But people are like, whoa, 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 how many calories are in an IPA? And you're like, this is the wrong angle to take, okay? All of you, I don't know what's going on with the alcohol industry now, but there seems to be this shift in marketing towards like the 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 low calories like drink Michelob Ultra you know a piss with two stouts of seltzer in it it tastes it's only 60 calories and we should market towards like 
drink this, it's only this, 100 calories, 100 calories. And you're like, first off, you know, I understand trying to make it a little bit healthier or whatever, but like you don't have to. We're gonna drink. And also don't market towards incredibly healthy people. Like every commercial I see for like Michelob Ultra is some ultra marathon CrossFit child that's just like, you know, they do a hundred deadlifts and squats and clean jerks. And then they like top off their meeting with and just pop open a Michelob Ultra. And they're like, this is why I train. And you're like, that's not the person to market to because they're not heavy drinkers. They're going to have three Michelob Ultras and that's it. And then they're going to eat fucking brown rice, steamed vegetables, and a piece of grilled chicken with no seasoning on it. And they're going to do that every day and measure out their calories because they hate their lives, but this is the only thing they have control of. So just let them have that and let them have their 60 calorie thing. But don't change the whole perception of alcohol it's going to be poison. It's like, this is what you got to prepare for. And I think, Nicole, you did a great job in making my point when you texted me on the way over here. You go, how many drinks am I having? Do I need to mentally prepare myself to have four drinks? And I said two, but really, I mean, this is like four or five easily with how big these are. But that's what you got to do. When you become an adult, when you drink, you go, all right. I'm going to get fucked up tonight. And then you prepare yourself mentally. You find your... And then once you do, everything goes out the window. All diet, everything. You find yourself at a McDonald's at 1 a.m. You're drinking. You're eating terrible food. And what happens? You wake up the next day. You feel terrible. Your body's just going through the throes of dehydration and nausea and all that other stuff. And what does your body do? What does it do? Like the good body, self-sustaining, self-correcting organism that it is, it gives you relentless diarrhea all day long (laughs) and course corrects. That's it. Just goes, hey, let's flush out all these toxins. You you went hard after it yesterday, buddy. We're going to just, we're just going to do a quick cleanse of your colon and now we'll be back on track. And then that's it. And then that's it. We don't have to do a whole, like, let me see how many calories are in an Aperol spritz, and then I'm going to run four miles a day, you know. I think they should go the other way. I think you should market to just, like, 300-pound bearded men who live in Binghamton, you know? Like, just the biggest, beardiest drinks, eight Bud Heavies a day, and a fifth of whiskey just to have a good time and forget the fact that he's working in a coal mine or something like that. That's the guy you want to market to, which I think Budweiser generally does. They're always like the, and Coors Light kind of does that, or Coors regularly, like they got the fucking, um, what's the guy who does the Coors commercials uh, with the great mustache? He was in, come on, he was in uh, The Big Lebowski. Sam Elliott. Got it. Oh, it feels so good. How good does it feel to think of anything without using the internet? I mean, I know Sam Elliott. I've known that name. But, you know, the alcohol makes it go away. But just to have the idea, is there anything worse now than forgetting something and then just trying so hard to think of it and just looking at your phone, knowing that that answer box has it all? And you just trying not to give in as hard as you can, being like, 
come on, man, you're you're better than this. You got a full brain. People have existed for centuries and fucking millennia before you without, it's been okay. And then, of course, you give in because it's just so simple. But I try and do that. My wife and I will constantly be like, we'll try to think of something, anything. What's it, How do we know this person? And then we'll just struggle and struggle. And then one of us gives in. And even when you get that answer, it doesn't feel the same. You know, like if you looked it up, Nicole, and you said Sam Elliott, I'd have been like, that's right. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> Fuck me. Like, I just would have got so angry. But now I thought of it. Sam Elliott, a name that I already knew and should have known. But guess what? I thought of it. So I'm great. You know, I'm happy. Um, what were we talking about? Alcohol. Uh, yeah, just, just, you know, what I think we, I think we said everything that needs to be said about the alcohol. Just market to the degenerates and we're good. Um, okay. There's been an update on the Brian Laundry case, which by the time this comes out, I'm sure there will be a four-part miniseries out about it. And, you know, he'll have had a crazy shootout some, so, somewhere outside of Montana or something about it. Um, what was that? That was a wild series of events that just happened behind the camera, which I don't think anything came up, but Jeet barked, and then your phone responded to Jeet's bark. That was crazy. Jeet went, and then you went, uh, your phone went, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. I mean, that's crazy. That is crazy. What was that? (laughs) It was also my watch. I have no idea how that just happened. Oh, my God. Your watches? Your watch talks? Oh, you have an Apple watch? I didn't know that. Ooh, very nice. Um, Wow. That was crazy. So there's been an update in the Brian Laundry case, and that is that Dog the Bounty Hunter is on the case, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm pretty invested in that. I want to see Dog the Bounty Hunter. That guy, that's another person. Let's put him on the leave that person alone list. Dog the Bounty Hunter. Listen, I get it. He dresses like a queef, and he just is... <laughs> it's a very, you know, he's, you know, he talks in the third person. He calls himself Dog. I get all the reasons you'd hate him. But he did an episode of some podcast, and I can't remember if it was uh, Armchair Expert or what the fuck or something he did where he told like his story of his life. And it is fascinating. It is like not only fascinating, but it's it's like heartbreaking and tragic and like beautiful and the story of redemption. And he was like such a bad guy and had such a bad life and was going down such a bad path and kind of course corrected, and then, you know, turned out to become this bounty hunter, which then became a television show, which is like, no one gets into bounty hunting, assuming it's going to be a, a, a 30-season TV show. I mean, the guy is a is a American success story, and I feel like he should be celebrated, but now he's out there. He's looking for Brian Laundrie. I do love that he trolled him by flying a plane that had like a message behind it that says like, Aloha, Brian Laundry," And then it just said, dog, which I, I mean, I just, he's, he's the best. And then they also just said today on the Daily Mail that they found, he, dog found like a beer can on a campsite on a remote island that dog was tracking. Now, nobody said that Brian was there or that that was his beer can or, it could have just been dog just found a beer can on the ground, but dog's on the case. 
dogs got a nose, dogs can sniff, you know? So I'm like, I'm, I'm invested in it. I would put it at like only like five to one odds that the, that, that dog finds them before the FBI. I think dog might find Brian Laundry, And he's so good when he finds him too. Have you ever watched Dog the Bounty Hunter, Nicole? No, I haven't. Here's the thing. It'll, it'll turn the, the blackest of hearts. Whoops. Hi, everybody. Mike Feeney here. Just wanted to put a quick aside in here. We're starting a new segment called Whoops, which is a segment in which I say something passionately only to eventually realize the problem of what I just said after recording. So this is a fun little insert. Um, so as you just saw, I was pretty passionately defending Dog the Bounty Hunter. I may have called him an American success story and said that he's, he's the best. I said he's the best, just like all-encompassing. And I've since learned he's not the best. He's not even, not even close to the best. Um, I wasn't aware of the, uh, the racial insensitivities that he had uh, displaced upon the communities of African-American descent. I didn't know. All I heard about him was that he, uh, you know, was poor and came from a, a family where his dad was a boxer and would like beat the shit out of him. It's like, you ever have a boxer beating you up? I haven't, but can you imagine how much of a nightmare that must be, especially at nine? And, um, and then he left his house at 13, joined a biker gang. Who's, by the way, letting a 13-year-old join a biker gang? Like, what do you, have a little respect for your biker gang. You know, you can't bring, bring 13, anyway, this, we're getting off track. He joins the biker gang, he gets arrested 18 times, he eventually does a job with somebody. His partner shoots and kills someone. He goes to jail for first-degree murder. And in jail, he is uh, seeing a, another prisoner escape, and he tackles him right at the walls. And then that stopped the guy from escaping. So they ended up knocking down his sentence. Good behavior. He's like, maybe I could do this for a living. Becomes a bounty hunter. The rest is history, right? So I thought, what a heartwarming story that is of a, a guy who got dealt shitty cards who became a better person. And then <laughs> I find out that he apparently was like, I don't want my daughter dating a black guy because then I can't say the N-word and I love to say the N-word. And it's like, hey man, you know, it's like, it's like he didn't even care that I recorded the podcast. And Sure, maybe he said that years ago, and I'm just now hearing about it. But to those who were watching that, going, why the fuck is this guy defending Dog the Bounty Hunter, who's this, like, racist guy? I didn't know, but now I know. And, you know, I still think his story's pretty crazy, you know, all things considered. So, unfortunately, I have to remove Dog the Bounty Hunter from the leave that person alone list. and place him into the whoops list, which is now the section he currently resides in. Anyway, back to the show. You want to hate it, and you want to hate him, and then you watch. It's kind of like Guy Fieri, which, uh, you know, Shane Torres is one of the greatest jokes that he did on, uh, I think it was Conan of all time, about Guy Fieri, where it's like, 
I get hating him. I get the outward appearance. Watch one episode of Guy's show, and you're like, he's the best. He just, he literally just promotes small businesses and just gives them international and international exposure. He's the fucking best. So put him on the list too. Leave that person alone. (laughs) Jeff Bezos, Dog the Bounty Hunter, Guy Fieri. Fucking leave him alone. Um, So yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with this Brian Laundry case, but I'm... I'm very invested in this because it seems very one-sided. So it's going to be crazy if some chick. That's the hard thing about the news is like things come out in dribs and drabs, you know, a little bit each day, a little bit each week, and then you got to eventually piece it all together. Ugh, so tough. I just want to, I just want to know, you know, just tell me everything right now. Instant gratification. Don't make me wait. All right. Well, I also had to do some research on my own. Because certain things in this life warrant having strong opinions on. And, you know, I think things like gun control, abortion, capital punishment, very, very important issues in this country that are worth having a discussion about. But I think we can all agree there's one topic that is significantly more important than the rest and kind of is embarrassing when you even compare the two, uh, you know, them with this, which is the always important debate in America of which company makes the best seltzer. And uh, in my money, in my, for my money and in my opinion, there is no better seltzer than Black Cherry Schweppes. Now, Nicole, I'm going to ask you what your favorite club soda is. And know that whatever you say will be judged. I mean, I feel like I'm just tanking all of your opinions because I don't drink seltzer. I don't like seltzer. That's okay. That's okay. You got I. You know, seltzer is a thing that grows on you as time gets as time goes by. I never used to like seltzer. Now I'm a big seltzer guy. But if you're gonna drink seltzer, Schweppes is the and they're not part of. They don't sponsor this podcast. I, I have no. I'm just a. I'm a Schweppes boy. And so I did, and I got into a fight because someone's like, Canada Dry makes good seltzer. Uh, Hal's makes good seltzer. Hank's. It's always people with H names. Fuck them. No, Schweppes is where you want to go. And let me tell you, let me tell you why Schweppes is good. I did a little research. Schweppes, been around. What year do you think Schweppes started, Nicole? Um, 1972. Final answer? Sure. Perfect. In that you were way off. Um, been around since 1783. 1783. Okay. If you're a soda company that's been around since 1783, you're the best company. All right. That's it. You're the best. You might be the best company ever. I mean, I don't know anything that's been in business in 1783. I think that was before the Ford Motor Company came out. So, I mean, you're. Already the best. So you've won. Congratulations. Ding, ding. Hands in. You won. That's it. But let me tell you, just to give you perspective, what was going on in 1783? 1783. George Washington was office. Is it was in office? So ever heard of him? If you <laughs> if you've been if you've been a company since the first president of the country you're living in has had. You, you're the best, okay? Also, February 3rd, 
1783, Great Britain acknowledges the independence of the United States of America. They said, you know what? We lost. They're a country. And later that day, they said, and also that Seltzer Company, Schweppes, they're going to be around a while, so stick with them. Um, Two days later, this is also just crazy, because I was like, what the fuck was even going on in 1783? Uh, we, you know, America gets independence. Uh, you know, Great Britain calls it calls it a war. Two uh, February fifth, two days after Great Britain acknowledges the independence of the United States, there was a Calabrian earthquake in Italy. Fifty thousand people died in this earthquake. There was five earthquakes in a period of like four days, and fifty thousand people died, which is like so many people. Isn't that Nicole? Like every time I feel like an earthquake dies, there's like, you'll see 2,000 is like a high, that'll be a high number. 50,000 seems crazy. It's insane. It's crazy high. And then later that year, still the same year, August 4th, Mount Asama, which is the most active, or is a volcano in Japan, erupts kills 1,400 people, and then that, the, the black cloud and the ash and all that other stuff caused a famine that resulted in over 20,000 deaths. So you got, what a, what, a, what a story of the world that is. If you start in Asia, there's 20,000 people dying from a volcano, and you move a little east and you got Italy, you got 50,000 people dying of an earthquake. And then you move a little bit more east and you got Great Britain being like, we just fucking lost a war. These fucking rebels just left and started their own country. They took it out from under us. How the hell did that ever happen? And you move a little more east and here we are in America, hanging out in Virginia, drinking some Schweppes, just living our best lives, having a good time. Schweppes, baby. I feel like I'm a, oh, what was that? What was that? Uh, comp- brisk. You remember that? Oh, yeah. It's brisk, baby. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start. I'm, I don't have ads yet, so I'm just going to start doing ads from the 90s, I guess. I'll just start yelling them at you guys. And, and in between being like, what was it? Who was the company? <laughs> I thought you were going to say that was going to be like your new transition from topic to topic. Is doing, is doing 90s commercials? I could. It's brisk, baby. Oh, just saying it's brisk. That's brisk, baby. Um... What else we got here? This this is this is quite great. Um, oh, I want to end with this because this will be fun because I saw this online. But fun times that the now texting when you're driving is like a big. It's a bigger deal than talking on your phone and driving. Do you remember the way that they did that? They they outlawed talking on the phone. And driving, because they were like, you need a hands-free device. You know, it's not, you can't talk on the phone and drive. But then they didn't outlaw texting. So then everyone's like, all right, if I can't talk on the phone, I'll just text. And then all the younger kids are like, I didn't want to talk on the phone to begin with. So everyone started texting. And then the deaths went way up, because everyone's like, yeah, texting is way better. But texting, you're literally staring not at the speeding vehicle that you're in. It's way more dangerous. But how fun is it that now that, like, if you talk and drive on the phone, on a phone call, you're not really an asshole anymore. You know, like if you're texting and driving, you might as well be drunk driving. Like that's the level of piece of shit that you are. And if you're drink, if you're, if you're on the phone driving, it's like, well, whatever. The guy's still looking straight. Like that's, that's where we are in our society that texting has become, or you know, talking on the phone and driving is so much more safe than texting and driving. But 
there is an art form to texting and driving. And I feel like there, if you're going to text and drive, and I don't recommend doing this unless you're very good at it, like me, uh, is that you have to know what you have to, you know, take into account. You have to compensate, right? So anytime you're going to text and drive, you have to, I think, the second you take your eyes off the road and text, first thing you want to do is keep your phone at a high level. This is just directions <laughs> on how to text and drive. What's wrong with me? Who am I? <laughs> but if you're going to text and drive, you have to keep it high enough to where you don't have to look straight down, but low enough to where passing police won't see you on your phone. So I like to keep it at like bottom of the steering wheel. Let's call it five o'clock level. All right. You keep it out at five o'clock. You glance down with your eyes. That way the perif is still seeing some sort of any possible damage. Also, and this is the only thing that I think is important. If you're going to text and drive, if you must, you have to be applying the brake gingerly while texting because that's the number one cause of things. It's like people are doing 70, their foot's on the gas the whole time and they're looking down at their phone and then they look up and there's a trunk just coming towards them at Mach 10 because of someone in front of them has stopped. So at least if you're slowing down your car while you're texting, when you look up, if there is a trunk rushing towards you, you have a better chance of stopping. Do you have any other advice for people that are texting and driving, Nicole? No, but I think it's hilarious that you're like, I don't recommend this, but this is exactly how you do it, like OJ. Yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah, if I did it, you know? This is this is if I did it, or like, you know, or like safe sex practices or any of these other things. I should go from school to school teaching this to children, you know? Because I see a lot of bad habits out there. I see a lot of, like tops of foreheads, you know, tops of skulls looking down at the thing at their phone. That's never going to work. You got to be better at it. And also you got to just constantly. And also if you don't know how to text without looking down at your keyboard, don't even have a phone. Just don't even just real quick, throw the phone out the window because I can text a memoir to someone without ever look, just my thumb. Just know you got to know where all the keys are at this point, right? Time has gone by. We're running out of gas. <laughs> running out of gas. Wrap it up. Um, this is fun, though. Oh, I forgot to do other plugs, but for the love of God, as you could see, uh, we, we're recording this uh, here in, in the studio. And uh, I thank you, everybody, for listening. And please, again, uh, you know, follow the podcast. Uh, if, if you subscribe, if that's still a thing, do that. Or just you know, follow the podcast anywhere you get your podcast. You can watch it on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Mike Feeney Comedy. Uh, this comes out early on my Patreon, patreon.com slash scenario pod. I do that with Mike Cannon, Brennan Sagalo, our podcast. Here's the scenario, which is also free. It's awesome. You can get on there. You're going to love it. As low as $5 a month, you can get on the Patreon. You get early access to the show. And I do a bonus uh, snarky with... Uh, the Patreon members and I, they give me specific topics to rant on. But if you guys want to do that for me for future episodes, that would be, frankly, uh, a relief. And you can do that by messaging me at I am Mike Finney on social media or uh, go to email snarkypodcast at gmail.com. You can email me things that annoy you, things that annoy, that you think will annoy me, Things you just want to hear me go off about. Go off king, um, which is a, a, is, a, is a thing I'll regret for the rest of my life. 
doing into camera <laughs> for the rest of my life. No matter how much success and failure I have in this life, I will go to the grave. That will be one of the last things I say to my kid. Delete that from YouTube, please. As, as my dying breath. Get rid of me saying, go off king. And with little, Nicole, I don't know if you saw the visual of it, but I was doing little finger dances while I was doing it. I didn't it, see that. It made it worse. It's so much worse. But um, I also thought you meant that your, your last breath words to your child was, were going to be go off king. No, no. It would be, this has been a life of regret. Um, that's, <laughs> that's what it's going to be. <laughs> All right. Two things I want to end on. One is just a quick, quick little obsy, as I call them. Um, no one calls them that, including myself. But a little observation. I, how, come, how come in movies and TVs, when people's homes get burglarized, every time they come home, it's always very windy? Do you notice that? So it's always just it's always windy showing the window that the burglar came in through or the door. The curtains always blowing. They always come in. There's stuff all everything's a muck. There's, there's just stuff all down. The jewelry's missing. The cash is gone. And they go, Where did they come from? And then they look at the window and it's just, just blowing a curtain in the thing. And you're like, God, thank God it was windy. Also, if I'm the burglar, I'm closing the window on my way out. You know, I want to be. I would be such a good cat burglar, Nicole. You have no idea. I would be such a good cat burglar. I would be like, I would go full black turtleneck, the ski mask. I would really tiptoe into things. I would wear gloves. I would, you'd never know. I'd be in and out in five minutes. You'd never know I was there. That's really it. But <laughs> A latex suit, perhaps. Latex? But that seems hot, you know? Maybe latex could be hot. Maybe spent. Maybe I'll do like a lycra suit. That way I can kind of like like a green man costume. A morph suit. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But you can't. Burglars are very reckless these days, and you're like, dude, there's cameras everywhere. You're gonna, you know. I feel like if I, if I left this apartment, went to your home in Brooklyn, and robbed your house while you were out, (laughs) and came back here. That there would be, there's enough security cameras and traffic cameras that could piece together pretty much every single step of the way of me doing that, right? Yeah. So you have to go like in the subways and like take multiple modes of transportation. And I gotta like stalk your social media to know when you're like putting up p- pictures in Jamaica and you're like, oh, you're out of town now, you dumb dick. Perfect time, you know, that kind of a thing. That's why I like to post vacation pics when I come back. Just because as a person with an out-of-control ego, I think that everyone is, you know, following me and, and about to do me wrong. So I do that. Anyway, let's wrap it up with this. I saw this thing on Instagram. And it was for people that work in corporate offices and not. And it's about avoiding... It says, avoid these four phrases that make you sound passive aggressive in emails. And so here are their four, they gave you four things that people commonly say, and then four suggestions that you should say instead to not sound passive aggressive. The first one is per my last email, which I don't, I don't think on the surface sucks too bad, you know? Like if someone was like, hey, per my last email, like, like I said, we're gonna meet here, here, and here. 
That doesn't really bother me. Does that bother you per my last email? A lot. It really shakes me to my core. Really? That's, yeah, that's one of the worst ones for me. No way. Well, how about this? Because this is their solution, and I think this is arguably worse. They want you to say, I'm following up on the below. Following up on the below is like, a, that basically is like, hey, fucko, I know you saw this. What is it? What's the answer here? Do you not hate that? Yeah, I mean, that also sucks, but I feel like per my last email is so much worse because it, it's just like, if you fucking read the first email, then you would have known that I said this versus following up on the below is a softer tone of that, I feel like. But. Yeah, I, I'm following up on the... I think it's the the below that bothers me. I mean, I'm following up is fine. You know, following up on my last email. How about that? We do a combination of the two. I'm following up on my last email because the per is what sucks in the first <laughs> one. The per my last email sucks. And the the below. Imagine if you got a per the below. It's like, I will light your house on fire with your family in it and hope you get out. Hope you get out. All right. When Nicole doesn't laugh sometimes, it really hangs me out to dry when I say stuff. <laughs> I was laughing. I was trying not to choke on my drink. <laughs> All right. Next, um, for future reference. Now that sucks. Now that is a condescending twatty. Um, okay, just for future reference, we don't do things like that here at the company. We like to send them over to here. That sucks. And this is another version of that. And I don't, I don't know that there is a better... I don't know that there's a way to say it without sounding twatty, but their suggestion was, in case it's helpful. But that, to me, I get it, but it also sucks. Doesn't it? Hey, in case it's helpful, um, read my last email and uh, realize what you did was fucking stupid. You know? Does that bother you? Yeah. I feel like I would suggest maybe moving forward as the phrase. Ooh, moving forward's a hard... Is that aggressive? It's aggress. Really? Oh, yeah. Hey, moving forward, um, if you could just forward these problems to <laughs> HR and not to me, that would be great. They're all bad. There's no good options. But let's say the answer is... Let's say the, the scenario through this for future reference, right? So let's say it's like, you know, I... Uh, I work at a I work at an office and I'm in accounting and someone's emailing me about pay stubs but really they need to talk to their manager about overtime or something like that and then they email me and I have to re reroute them to the manager. So instead of being like, "Hey, I could be like, I'll go, "Hey, um you know, thanks for reaching out. I don't I don't handle this. This is actually the person that you want to talk to." And then that's the way you do it. Instead of being like, oh, this will get figured out. For future reference, I don't do this, so stop bothering me. And it also sucks to go, in case it's helpful to you, in case, of course it's helpful, because you're helping the person out, but the in case. It's really only just certain words in this. For The future reference sucks, in case sucks, per sucks, the below sucks. All right, so now we move to the next one. Bumping this to the top of your inbox is the bad one. And they want you to replace it with, I know you're busy, but I thought I'd check in on this. That one, I don't think I have a problem with. I think that's okay. 
Would that bother you to get that? The second one I think would bother me more because I feel like maybe I'm I'm just like I have problems and I'm anxious, but I feel like if someone said, I know you're busy, I would think that they're just saying that to like be a dick and that they don't yes. actually think that I'm busy. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And also now I fully agree. Fuck that. <laughs> I'm gonna do a little combo of the two of these and go, um, fuck. Actually, no, I'm gonna do maybe this will make it better for you. I'm gonna say, uh, just bumping this to the top. I know you're busy just bumping this to the top of your inbox when you get a chance. How about that? Yeah, that feels safer. That feels safe. That feels pretty good. I am a big worrier of text tone, you know, because text tone, email tone, almost 100% of the time. I get into regular fights with Brendan Sagalow about text tone because the way he says things are the way they should be read. But he's like, no, no, when I say, okay, period. I meant like, I meant like, okay. You know, like, and you're like, no, you didn't, that didn't come across, surprisingly. In your K period, it didn't come across. It came across <laughs> like you want me to drive to your house, drive through your living room and park the car on your chest. Um, last one. Going forward, which I think is just as bad as for future reference, maybe worse. But I don't think the solution's any better again. I think this is bad, too. This is their suggestion. How about we try doing blank? And how about we? Because there is no we, you know? It basically is, it's do this instead of what you just did. But instead they go, how about, that goes back to the pre-K teacher. How about we try picking up our blocks together? Means pick up your blocks. You know, that's what that means. That's all that means. Well, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I think the issue with all of them is that they are, even the solutions are so passive aggressive. Like it would be so much easier to just, at least for me, to take something that's direct. That's like, next time just pick up the blocks. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah. But the other ones are so much more hurtful, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, like the other ones, it's, it, it's so funny because passive aggression by its nature, I think, is trying to avoid conflict and hurting someone's feelings, but almost always certainly does more damage, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's transparent. Like, you can tell these are all actually supposed to be aggressive. None of them I'm actually taking as, oh, cool, you actually care about me and what happens next. Yeah, what a fucking world, huh? Well, we did it, folks. That's the show. Uh, We got to the bottom of it. Uh, Thank you so much. For, for listening, like I said, and watching. We're, we're, we're a new podcast, and uh, we're trying to get our bearings, but I'm having fun. Are you having fun, Nicole? Yeah, we're just talking about our feelings at this point. This is true. Yeah, that's how you know. This is The <laughs> drinks have come to the bottom. We're like, why is he so mean? Uh, so, you know, we'll see you next week.